Hey everyone, I am Farah Kimji and you are listening to the Futura Talks podcast. I believe the future will be built by those who see opportunity where others see uncertainty. It will be built by people that don't look like the traditional leaders of our past, but by women and individuals from diverse backgrounds that see the world differently and who are driven to make it better for all. This podcast will feature these people, self-made leaders and entrepreneurs that defy odds and are motivated to build a better future. We will also share practical advice for how you can unlock your full potential as the leader of your own Futura. Now, let's jump into today's episode. Hi, everyone. Today's episode features Amy Ding, the founder and CEO of Requity Home, a tech-enabled real estate platform that creates a fair, feasible, and flexible new path to owning a home. Before launching Requity Homes, Amy was a finance professional with a deep-rooted passion and experience in real estate and product. In fact, throughout her entire career, Amy has worked in varied real estate capacities, ranging from prop tech to capital markets experience. Amy is also a licensed realtor who intimately knows the ins and outs of the home purchasing journey. Her own experience with it also served as the inspiration for launching Requity Homes. And she is here with us today to tell us more about her journey. Amy, welcome and thank you for joining us. Thank you and my pleasure. Let's start out by learning about when you were growing up. What were the aspirations of seven-year-old Amy and maybe even teenage Amy? Yeah, um, that's a great question. I know this may sound stereotypical. Um, I remember I wanted to become a professor, a teacher, a doctor, or a scientist (laughs) when I was like seven. And I can't even pinpoint why I was interested in those careers. And for me, teenager year is a bit different because I was born and raised in China. The education system there is very different where there's only one singular focus, i.e. you had to score as as high as you can on a three-day college entrance exam called which is equivalent to SAT in the U.S., except it only happens once a year. So if you screw up any of those three days, you're basically pretty much done and you have to redo it again a year. So for me, there's not much thoughts going on about career planning, what is what I wanted to do eventually when I get to university and eventually graduate. I think about it every day back then. It's like, okay, I got to study for 18 hours per day, six days a week so that I can be as most prepared as possible for those three-day college entrance exams. So that is, uh, yeah, I guess that's my teenage life. No thoughts about what I wanted to do at all. (laughs) Wow. That's, that's so interesting. So then tell me then from that kind of journey from high school to all the way before you started Requity Homes, what did that look like? What was that path? Yeah, uh, I will try to be as concise as possible. And uh, so after high school, I went to university in China and studied English for my undergrad major because my parents thought it was a great uh, starting point to open up more opportunities. The only thing is my English wasn't the greatest going to the undergrad. And quite frankly, it wasn't the greatest after graduation either. Um, but through my four years in university, I, I was asking myself, you know, this is my major. 
if I'm spending four years studying for it, I got to be good at it. Like I was okay, you know, reading or I was pretty bad at speaking. I was pretty bad at writing. I, I got to do something about it. And obviously the easiest way is to immerse myself in the English speaking environment. And that's how I ended up in Canada, um, studying my master degree in accounting at the University of Toronto. And afterwards, starting my career in accounting and auditing real estate companies. And then after I got my CA designation, I moved over to finance, working at RBC Capital Markets in their equity research group, covering the real estate sector. Uh, worked there for two years, super long hours, realizing it wasn't for me. Then I switched over to RBC Ventures as a product lead, helping the bank build startups internally. Through my experience there, I realized what I'm passionate about. I basically turning an idea into a business that solves a real problem that actually has impact. And yeah, and that's why I decided to quit my job and started Reputy Homes. Oh, wow. Like, okay, so let's, <laughs> let's just unpack that a little bit because you went from just saying, I want to be better at English, so let me move to an English speaking country to kind of coming here to Canada and just not just immersing, but really succeeding, right? And having an amazing career, right? And, and having also the ability to say, look, this accounting path isn't for me. Let me now take another pivot and turn. What was going, like, I'd like to know what was going through your mind then and, and how did you actually land the role with RBC Ventures, right? Because that's a, that's a pretty big leap to make. Yeah, yeah, totally. I think one thing about me is I don't want to stay too comfortable. Once I do, I like constantly, I want to challenge myself. Once I get too comfortable, whether it's in the accounting world, whether it's in the finance world, well, the work started getting repetitive. I feel like I wasn't learning as much. And then I'll be like, okay, what am I going to do next? What am I going to do next? I can't spend my life like this. So every single time when I go through that cycle, it just pushes me to, you know, think further, okay, what am I passionate about? What new skill sets do I want to build? What type of new opportunities am I looking for? And quite frankly, um, back in when I was working at Capital Markets, I literally quit my job. I knew it wasn't for me, but I didn't know. And that was in 20, I believe 2018. I didn't know what I wanted to do next. And it's, uh, it's scary. It was really scary. It's like, I've been working so hard. I always have a clear goal. I know that's the direction I want to go. But back in 2008, I had no idea what I'm going to do next. All I knew is I don't want to do accounting. I don't want to do finance. So what's next? So what ended up happening is I actually took three months off. Well, when I quit my job, I don't know how long the break is going to be because I have no idea how long it's going to take for me to find my passion. But during that period of time, I, you know, I traveled trying to understand, you know, what's happening around the world, did a lot, a lot of networking people in the finance, like private equity, venture capital, um, went to a lot of tech events in Toronto, like tech deal events, uh, 1-11 summer social, talking to a lot of people working in different industries. Eventually I fall in love with tech. I fall in love with innovation. It's just the type of people you're surrounded in the tech ecosystem. It's like very different. I feel like I used to live in a bubble, a finance accounting bubble, where that's, that's literally my friend's circle, right? Because that's my classmates. We all ended up in accounting slash finance. So once, uh, once I realized what's outside of finance accounting Bible, uh, bubble, it really opened up my eyes. I, real, I realized, oh my gosh, there's so much we can do. And the, light, like, the impact you're making, uh, you know, solving a real problem, 
proposing a new solution and making an impact. That is that speaks a lot about what I wanted to do. And uh, and not until then I realized, you know what? Actually, entrepreneurship is the way to go. Wow, that's such an incredible part of your story. I think because it takes a lot of guts to quit and say, "I know this isn't for me." Even though I don't know what I want to know, I know do I know this isn't for me. And not a lot of people just make that leap. And it's it's hard to figure out what you want to do when you're in a job and when you're immersed in a job. And so sometimes you need that space to figure it out. So kudos to you for doing that. And I think it's funny because, you know, I went through a similar path, right? I took the finance and accounting path all the way to being a senior executive in a finance company. And then I had the epiphany, like, this isn't what I want to do for the rest of my life. And what's so interesting about the venture space is it is so dynamic. It is so creative. There's such a great energy in that space right now. I was immediately drawn to it. I did not think I would have a career in tech. Like that was just not on the radar, but like you, you know, you come in and you go to these events and you're like, this is a whole different world. And so I love that you kind of just followed, you know, that inner voice and those, those callings and, and actually along that line of thinking, did you know, maybe even before, you know, you kind of started taking this pretty traditional path, right? That most people take, but before, you know, kind of making that lead to leave, you know, RBC, did you think at all, like, were there nudges in your head saying that one day, I think I want to start my own business? Like, did you have that, you know, feeling in high school or any time before, um, you know, launching Requity Homes? Um, so definitely not in high school <laughs> because I was studying 18 hours per day and there's only one goal. Usually once I have a one goal, like I'm pretty singular minded, which is good and bad because my goal score as high, you know, as I can on that three day college, uh, college entrance exam back in high school, I didn't think about anything else. So if, uh, if I, it, it probably wasn't until I started working at RBC Ventures then, you know, because prior to that, my all my experience in like accounting and finance, I had a lot of ideas, but I didn't know what to do. Uh, like, okay, what does that mean? Okay, I can actually create a business. How do you go about it? Like, um, and you know, are you supposed to like you're supposed to do problem validation, right? You're supposed to do solution testing. I didn't know any of that prior to ventures, but I had amazing experience working at RBC Ventures and learning everything, like how do you build a minimum viable product in the most scrappy way to test all the assumptions and hypotheses you need to do. So it wasn't until I started working at RBC Ventures, uh, and then, you know, the questions keep popping in my head. Okay, it's like, should I do this on my own? Or can I do this on my own? And it was eventually got to the point that, you know what, let me just do it. You know what? I can't, I can't be bothered. I, you know, the best way to answer the question is do it myself and see whether I can do it or not. And let's literally yeah. look like it. Yeah. So it sounds like RBC Ventures was essentially like a, a stepping stone, right? You were now immersed in this venture world. You were supporting other ventures. And maybe you felt like, look, if these guys can do it, like I can do this too. I love that. And sometimes it takes that, right? Like you, you to be immersed in a whole new world of saying, there's other things out here other than this straightforward traditional path. So now you're at RBC Ventures, right? So tell us like what was going on right before you decided to now go out and launch Requity Homes? Like, was there this light bulb moment or a series of moments that kind of led 
to your decision to, to launch your own company? Yeah. Um, so I think that goes back to my experience at RBC Ventures. So initially, uh, my role was to help the bank build startup internally. And over time, I also started helping them invest, acquire other startups in the prop tech space. So I had a pretty good experience both as a operator, but also investor slash, you know, acquire. Through that experience itself, I realized I'm much more passionate about building rather than investing or acquiring. So I think, you know what? I want to build a startup and homeownership is just something really, really close to my heart. And over two years ago, I saw opportunity. No one was doing anything in Canada, but there are proven models in the U.S. like Divi Homes, like Landis Technologies. So I thought, why not quit my job and start a Canadian version of this business model? And that's literally what I did. And I quit my corporate job and said, hey, let me take my time figured it out how I'm gonna, you know, how I'm gonna bring this idea into business. And and obviously it's uh, it hasn't been an easy journey, but uh, I'm, you know, thinking back, I'm glad I made that decision. Wow, amazing. So, so you're there, you've now said, okay, look, I've seen this model that's working in the States. I think I can bring it to Canada. But before getting into Requity Homes, I'd like to ask you, was there also something that, you know, a problem in your own life or an area in your own life that you wanted to address and, and saying, look, I think the path of entrepreneurship is, is the right path for me? Yeah, um, that's a great question. I think at the end of the day, like I'm the type of person who always wants to challenge herself. And to me, entrepreneurship is definitely the best career option I can think of. If you think about it, it's like, doesn't matter what stage you are as an entrepreneur slash operator, you're going to have tons of challenges. And as you scale up, even if you raise money, series A, B, C, even if you are a unicorn, you're going to have different sets of challenges. So I guess as an entrepreneur, the good thing is you will never run out of challenges to pursue. (laughs) So to me, that's good because that keeps me motivated and excited every single day. I love that. It's funny because I remember anytime I had a corporate job, within six months to a year, sometimes I would get bored of it. And I'd go back and do some form of schooling, like I did my MBA, or I did some other you know, degree or something part-time while I was working full-time. But now, since I've been an entrepreneur, you're right. There's never, like, there's an endless amount of challenges to keep you busy and engaged. So I think for anyone who's gets kind of, you know, bored quickly in their job or, you know, feels like they're sort of like flatlining in it. There's no opportunity or time for that to ever happen, I think. So that's, it's a good realization to make for yourself there. Um, okay. So now tell us more about Requity Homes. Like what was the key problem that you were really looking to solve as it relates to housing affordability? Yeah, so um, in short, Recruity Homes is tech-enabled real estate platform that's creating a new path to home ownership through a modernized rent-on program. So our target customers are those aspiring home buyers who have the cash flow to afford a home, yet they still cannot qualify for a mortgage because they're self-employed. They don't have the two years operating credit uh, operating history required by traditional lenders. It could be uh, they could be newcomers who simply haven't had a chance to build up their Canadian credit history, or it could be families with fair credit score lacking the 20% down payment to access alternative financing options. And what we do through our Rent Zone program is that we will help our clients purchase the home of their choice upfront so they can rent the home from us with the option 
to buy back later. It's like lease to own a car, except that we think homes cost a lot more money, so there should be more financing options, and homes are appreciating asset class overall, so there are benefits for the user to lock in that future buyback price. And when it comes to the housing affordability, and obviously, you know, everyone knows about it, home price keeps going up. However, your wages is never, you know, increasing at the same rates. You might actually end up having more savings, but you could fall further behind just because price has gone up like crazy. So for us, how we're solving that is can we provide a stepping stone for people who can't qualify for mortgage, but at the same time, they're really, really close. So can we give that actual push to accelerate that home ownership dream? And that's what we're trying to do here. Wow. So this is really incredible because I think those three categories that you sort of shared of your, you know, ideal customer or the target customer market that you're going after a lot of people, a lot of Canadians fall in that category. Um, I know many myself, right. That fall in that category. So I think you definitely have a pretty big market to address a quick question. So does part of the rental payment go towards equity in the home, or is it that you're locking in to say, this is the price that I'll buy the home at in five years, 10 years. Like how does the mechanics of that work? Yeah. So that's a great question. And we, uh, we ask our, our renter clients to give us a fixed monthly payment. Part of that is rent and the other part serves as a forced saving mechanism where it goes to make a down payment. So as time goes by, our rental clients will have more and more saved up. Sometimes it's hard to come up with a 10, 20, 30 K down payment. But if you break it down on a monthly basis, it adds up. And, uh, and and obviously, the goal is to help them get ready for a mortgage through the cumulative down payment savings and personalized credit coaching tips and advice as well. So to answer your question directly, yes, part of the payment goes towards the savings. And in, in addition to that, we're locking the future buyback price based on a relatively conservative annual increase rate per year. So if home price goes up higher than the rate we locked in, it's good for our rental clients because that means they can buy back the home at below future market value. They can actually uh, benefit from rising home prices in, in that kind of a scenario. Wow, this makes me just want to lock in <laughs> with you because that's such a great protection, especially in in you know cities where either the rent is high, the the price you know the um, prices just keep going up, and and I mean it's just happening everywhere. So I think that's, you know, this is such a good alternative. And I, in, in some ways, you know, when you have a traditional mortgage, right, you've got a big portion of it going towards interest anyways, and then you've got the rest going towards equity. So in, in some ways, this is an alternative to say, I can still have a great place to live in while I'm paying a rent, which, you know, is essentially your interest and have some equity being put aside too, maybe not the same amount, but there's, you know, some being set aside that the option for ownership is there in the future at a reasonable price, right? So really, really great thinking. And um, so, you know, why is this problem kind of so important to you? And and why do you think you and your team are the right people to solve it? Yeah, um, I mean, homeownership is something really close to my heart. And that goes back to my own kind of a story. I, when I first moved to Canada, um, I still remember I had to move seven times in the first two years. And that experience wow. itself definitely reminded me and reinforces how important homeownership it is to me. It's not just having a roof over your head. It's a, you know, it's a place to call your own, a place to build wealth. And unfortunately, that has become more and more difficult 
and challenging for a lot of families out there because rising home prices and tightening mortgage underwriting has stagnant wage growth. So from my personal experience, I feel like there has to be a better way to make it more accessible. And from the team perspective, like uh, we, I, I mean, I'm a first time, I'm the first generation immigrant in Canada. So I know how hard it was to access a lot of the financial products, including mortgages in Canada, when you don't have that Canadian credit history. Our CTO, Andrew Smith, he uh, was in the art space. So he was self-employed for a long time before switching his career to the tech. And he knows how hard it was to get a mortgage when he was self-employed. And our director of strategic partnership, uh, Drashley, our growth marketing manager, Ria, both of them are newcomers as well. And both of them had that firsthand experience as a newcomer um, accessing financial products like I did. So every single team member knows firsthand the struggles our clients are going through every single day. And now we're applying whatever we have learned and trying to change that to make homeownership more accessible. Yeah, I think this is such a needed product. Like even just myself now being an entrepreneur, I face some of those challenges as well. So I, I, I totally see. And, and with more and more people choosing a path of entrepreneurship where you don't always have that you know steady income or you go periods of time without it, then this is such a great option. So can I ask you, what are the you know things that you guys do to qualify people for the, the program? How is it different than you know traditional mortgage programs? Yeah, um, our underwriting is definitely much more robust and holistic because at the end of the day, our clients cannot qualify for a mortgage. If we do the same way, we're not going to have any business here. So how we're doing differently is our underwriting is 100% cash flow based. So we don't care too much about your credit score. Instead, we want to understand what is in your credit uh, report. Like what kind of debt do you have? Like um, uh, and how much monthly payment do you have? We analyze their bank statements. We ask ourselves realistically, like what kind of cash inflow do you have? How consistent? How steady are they? How, like, what are your spending and saving habits? Have you been paying your rent consistently? And based on all of those alternative data uh, that's 100% cash flow focused, we have pretty good idea about our client's financial capability, i.e., you know, what I think is reasonable rent your own budget for you on a monthly basis. And based on that monthly budget, we can infer what is a recommended home shopping budget for you. And, uh, and obviously, um, you know, we can, uh, you know, take a much more holistic view. It depends on your, like, regardless of the type of your profession, self-employed or our salaried. And uh, we don't care about your credit, your, you know, credit score per se. If you have no credit history, sometimes it's actually a good thing <laughs> having bad credit history, right? Hey, yeah, and that's just generally how we do it differently than the traditional lenders do. And that's how we're differentiating ourselves from the competition. Yeah, I think it's so important because if you deployed the same tactics, then you wouldn't really end up at the at the right result here, right? So, and it takes someone to come in and say, how we're doing this traditionally isn't working for everyone. It only works for a small portion of our you know, population. So to come in and say, here's another alternative that's more inclusive and actually looks at, you know, how people actually spend money and how they save. And I think that part of the equation is so important other than just your pay slip that you get each month, right? Being the qualifier. So this is really cool. Very exciting. Um, so I know that's, you know, you've mentioned how you're different from 
the competition, but what are some of the other emerging solutions and, and groups that are ta- tackling this problem? And how do you kind of make sure you fit into that ecosystem and, and complement and, and still differentiate at the same time? Yeah. Um, I mean, housing affordability, home ownership, it's, yeah. it's, it's, a sophisticated, it's a big problem and it's very complicated. There, just, there, there isn't one perfect solution that solves it all, like fits for every single demographic. It really comes down to which customer segments you're targeting to, and there will be different tailored solution for that. So as I mentioned before, for us, Reputy Homes, we offer this rent-to-own program. We're targeting at people who have a cash flow to afford a home, but cannot qualify for mortgage. And there, there are other product offerings out there that target totally different segments. For example, down payment assistance slash shared equity mortgages. They target people who have the income, who have the credit to qualify for mortgage, but they don't have the down payment. And that is especially true in cities like Toronto, Vancouver, where the average home price is over a million and you need to have minimum 20% down. It's not that easy to come up with 200K in a short period of time. So what those product offering do is um, they basically will give you 5%, 10% of the home price and uh, they will be kind of a silent partner on your home. You don't have to pay the monthly mortgages, payments, no interest. But instead, when you need to sell the home, and then this silent partner will basically take a certain percentage of the equity appreciation of the home. And that is called uh, shared equity mortgage slash down payment assistance. And there are also other product offerings targeting people who actually don't want to become homeowner. Maybe homeownership is not their priority at all. Not everyone wants to become homeowner, right? But at the same time, they may want to benefit from rising home price. They still want exposure to um, real estate. Mm -hmm. And that's where you have those fractional real estate investment platforms where you can invest as little as $100 or $10 if the the real estate market goes up and so will be your portfolio. So there are a lot of different products out there that target totally different customer segments. And at the end of the day for Rockwood Homes, we decided to focus on the families who cannot qualify for mortgage. And we think we can make the biggest impact in this particular segment. Wow, this is so cool. And I and I think what you've done is you've come in and fit into a specific niche of people who the other products out there don't work for whatever reason, even though there's some great products and solutions out there that are also solving this problem. Like you said, it's such a complex problem that there's space for, you know, groups like yours to come in and the model that you're following, you know, has had some, has proven itself already in the States. Right. So, you know, things are always a little bit different here in Canada, especially when it comes to housing, a little bit more conservative and traditional. So it's nice to see something new and and different kind of popping up and looking at the problem in a different way to say, well, what about all these people who don't fit this program or that program? So really, really cool. Okay. So I want to ask you, and you know, you've recently closed a funding round of 1.2 million, which is pretty impressive. Can can you share what it's like to raise capital for the first time and you know what you've learned along the way? Yeah. <laughs> it's hard. It was really, really, really hard. And I know you probably heard it from a lot of other founders out there as a solo female non-technical founder it's definitely not easy it's a it's a roller coaster right and even though in real life I can't do roller coasters at all but I literally did it two years with Reputy Homes I knew like don't get me wrong like I knew it's, it's going to be hard starting a business is going to be hard raising money is going to be hard 
you guarantee you're going to get a lot of no's. But I did not know is the consistencies of no's you get. And also certain remarks really grind you down. It, it's, uh, it's, it's tough. It's not easy at all. And through that ex- experience itself, it definitely tested my resolve. Like, why am I doing this? Right? What problem am I solving? Is this actually a real problem? Am I actually offering a real product people want it to use? And uh, I think at the end of the day, one thing I learned through this experience, obviously you will get better and better. Like every single time you pitch, you tell your story, eventually you want to, you know, you want to, you want to basically kill it. You want to tell a good story where you want to bring in the, as many investors in, and you want to find those investors who have the same kind of conviction as you, the founder does. Yeah. And uh, yeah, <laughs> definitely not easy. <laughs> you mentioned that sometimes there's certain remarks that you hear, like, can you share some of the things that you heard along the way that, you know, kind of broke your spirit in some moments? Yeah, and um, I think it's just certain comments where I not necessarily agree. Like there, there's some good feedback. Like obviously there's some of the feedback around the team, 100% valid, right? When you're like a solo founder, it's, it's there's always a risk, right? There are other feedback regarding the type of technology. Like, yeah, no, I get it. But at the same time, we're yeah. raising a pre-seed. <laughs> we need to do a lot of other things before we invest heavily in the tech. Um, I think it's just, there are other comments where I necessarily agree. And usually they're more towards People may not know the business model at all, or the moment people hear about, oh, you're buying homes, it's capital intensive, um, you know, I'm out, which is fine if that's not your mandate. But then certain times people have certain buyers, even before you, before you talk to them, they have certain buyers regarding your business. They have certain buyers um, for certain, you know, personality or certain ethnicity or gender. Yeah. It's, it's tough. It's really tough. And sometimes you feel like, if I'm telling the same story, if it wasn't me, let's say if it's a, a white man telling the same story, I feel like the reaction or the response I get will be totally different. And those times are really, really hurtful. Yeah, that 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 can be tough because you you know you're sitting there and you know you have a good idea. You actually know you have one because it's proven out in other, you know, um, geographic areas, and you're saying, so it's not the idea. Is it just me who's pitching the idea that you're not sold on? But I think what, you know, came through and what you just shared there is that you were able to say, well, it's just not the right investor. Like it's not the person who gets what I'm doing or they don't understand the business model or they don't get me or they don't think I'm the right person. Then, then they're not the right person. They're not the right investor. Right. Like, and it's, I think sometimes as founders, we have to flip the script to say, if they're not getting it, then they're not the person I want along for the ride. I want the person who comes in, is wowed by me, wowed by the story, wowed by what we're trying to do, can help us and give us constructive feedback. And I think, you know, clearly you got there. So, you know, with the capital that you've raised, are you, you know, what are the plans for that capital? What's next? What's, you know, what's coming up? Are you going to be raising again soon? Yeah. Uh, totally. And, uh, we, the, that $1.2 million we raised is to use to build up the team and, and also accelerate our product development on the tech side and also expanding to new geographies. So we are expanding to Saskatoon, Regina, and uh, currently doing some soft testing, those two markets, uh, and we're looking for more funding. Yes. And, uh, that goes back to our business model, which is capital intensive nature. Because if you think about it, in addition to making sure we have a well-established teams serving our clients, 
We ask every single time when we try to help the family, we need to buy the home for them upfront until they are mortgage ready. Then they buy back the home. We recycle the capital, right? And so we also need to have access to real estate capital in order to fund all the home purchases to help those families moving to their dream home today. And those capitals are, are they're, they're big dollar amount, like a million dollar. Even though we focus on tier two cities, the average home price we buy is like 200, 300K. A yeah. million dollars is like three, four families top. And uh, so we do need a lot of access to capital. And that's why we're currently in the process setting up our first real estate funds so that this fund will be basically buying the next 50 to 100 homes for our families. Yeah, so that that's incredible. So like in addition to raising the capital for your company, you also have to go out and raise a fund. So what types of investors are you looking for in that fund? Is it high net worth individuals? Are they institutional investors? Tell us more about the fund or what you can share about that. Yeah. And so it's currently in pro, uh, working progress. So um, we're definitely targeting high net worth individuals, family offices, um, less so about institutional players, just because the fund size we're looking for at the moment. But the end goal is obviously as we grow, um, we will need to raise second fund, third fund. As we started building a track record, eventually we do want to work with institutional players who have, uh, you know, a higher check sizes and more deeper pocket to as our potential partners um, in this uh, business model in the long run. Yeah, I mean, I could absolutely see institutional groups being interested in this because there is sort of that, you know, risk supported by like, you have the homes backing this, right? Like if someone doesn't buy the house, you have an actual asset there worth something that appreciates over time. And I know a lot of the institutional groups have looked at different things in, in sort of the housing sector. So, you know, this fresh take, while some of them are quite traditional, finding that right partner again, that will say, look, you know, Requity Homes is, is doing something different. And, you know, we'll want to get behind this. So I actually think you'll probably see that come sooner than you sooner than you think. And just what I know, you know, the little that I know about kind of real estate and housing and some of, you know, myself working at a private equity fund, this model that you have is actually quite interesting and quite compelling. So I think it's so exciting. But yeah, it's just that added challenge that you have in addition to building out the platform to do this on at scale. You also need that the capital to back it up. Yeah. Okay. So what would you say, like, I mean, you've been at this a couple of years now, what would you say is kind of the biggest challenge or challenges that you faced now as an entrepreneur? Yeah. When it comes to challenges, I can definitely talk at day and night. We, I probably have a million, million challenges sitting, sitting right in my two, two soft list. Um, I think if I had to pick the biggest one, definitely exercise prioritization in a very resource constrained environment. And what I mean by that is, obviously, as early stage startup, there are a lot of uh, ideas, experiments we want to run, we want to test. But then there's only, you know, limited resources, right? When I was bootstrapping for a good two years, I, I was the one who cost the customers. I was the one trying to get all the leads, you know, doing all the marketing, figuring out different ways to drive traffic to the side, build up that demand at the top of funnel. I was the one trying to get uh, real estate capital so we can actually help those families. So I was basically doing everything. So I thought, oh, you know what? Maybe once I have a team, it will be easier. And now we're a team of five and it did not get any easier. And what's, the reality is as you scale, you have more challenges and the same goes toward, uh, to, uh, same applies to the team members. 
not only I have a million things in my to-do list and I only have 24 hours, <laughs> the team member, every single team member has a million things on their plate and they only have yeah. 24 hours as well. And how do you balance the prioritization at the same time, making sure myself and the team are not burned out because it's not sustainable, right? Mm-hmm. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint building a startup entrepreneurship. That's definitely one of the things I learned. So how do you find that fine balance is definitely tricky. I don't think I have a found a perfect solution yet. I'm still working on it. Yeah. And, and I think I always have to remind myself, I resonated a lot with what you just said, but I always remind myself progress over perfection, right? Like you're not going to be able to do everything on that list. And that prioritization is key. Like Sometimes we want to go for the low hanging fruit because it's like, okay, we can easily put a check mark behind that, but it's the big stuff that will move your business forward the most. And so just saying like, look, all this other stuff, whether the website looks good or this looks good, like none of that matters. I need to generate revenue. I need to get this product out there. I need to do the research, like the harder stuff to do and prioritizing there is so important. So Yeah. I mean, I don't think it ever stops. Like you alluded to the hose does not turn off, (laughs) so to say. Um, But yeah, so I'd like to take the audience to sort of, you know, thinking about the future of Requity Homes and also just the future landscape of generally housing, you know, both ownership and rental and sort of rent to own. How do you see that all evolving over time? Um, yeah, I, I think Canadians basically will have expanded financial options to choose from to access home ownership. Um, if you think about it historically, either you're a renter or you're a homeowner. There's nothing in between, right? But as we, you know, as we grow, as we get in this new world, I think that line will get more and more blurred, where you can maybe actually have the flexibility of renting at the same time, benefits of owning, let's say through a rental or other type of models. Um, personally, I always like to use the analogy of lease to own a car. Nowadays, you go to any car dealerships, right? There are three ways for you to access a car. You can buy it in cash, you can finance it, you can lease to own it. But when it comes to ownership, there are only two ways for now. You buy it in cash, which is impossible, given the dollar amount, unless you win the lottery, and uh, or you trying to finance it. But then mortgage um, underwriting has become tightening by tightening. So why can't we rent a home? Like why can't the future be where you rent a home is as easy and as mainstream as lease to a car where no one questions whether this is a legitimate option or not. And I think that will be the future. And as Rockwell Homes, we want to dominate this space and become the go-to brand for the consumers. Wow. That's a, that's a very, very ambitious, but I agree. Like, giving the consumer more options, more flexibility, more alternatives. That's, that's what people want in every market. And we've seen that happen, you know, in, in so many different places, like even when it just comes to hospitality, right? Like we don't just have to stay in a hotel anymore, right? There's Airbnb. So there's all sorts of things popping up with that even. So I think that for housing, you know, people have really started to look at housing and where they live and ownership of homes very differently than um, before. And I think, especially with the pandemic, things have changed, right? Of how people think about where they live. And so with that means the more options, I think the better, right? Like let's, let's have something that works for everyone, right? Let's make it inclusive so that the path to 
to ownership or just housing is accessible for everyone. So I agree. I do. I do think we'll, we'll see more of that, you know, kind of popping up in the future and specifically with Requity Homes, like what are you most excited about as it kind of continues to expand? Yeah, um, we're, I mean, we have one goal internally. We want to help 10,000 families get into homeownership in the next five years. Um, Canada is growing and there we have more and more newcomers arriving every single day. So for us, it's uh, incredibly important to give them the alternative path to homeownership from the start. And uh, so they can put down the roots and in the country where I have come to my, call my own. So that's definitely something as a team we're super excited about. And we really want to hit that 10,000 families as soon as we can. Wow. So you're saying like, as soon as you arrive here, let's like, don't just rent, rent to own, get right into that program. I think it's really important because a lot of immigrants don't even get the chance to have that sort of generational um, you know, wealth being built because they've come from somewhere else. They don't, they can't bring that with them. Right. And they're leaving that behind. And even now, as we're accepting more and more immigrants, especially some that are coming from war-torn countries, like they, they're not coming here with anything. Right. So if they want to be settling here, that option of saying, I'm not just going to be a renter for life. I'm going to eventually own this home and pass it on and build that generational wealth for my family, I think is so important. I love that you have a number in mind of 10,000, I think is also come sooner (laughs) than you think. And then we'll be talking about the next 10. In terms of geographic expansion, I know, you know, you mentioned a few markets, but you know, what markets are you really going after? I think obviously there's Toronto, but there's all these second tier markets that I think are kind of overlooked, you know, we always think of the big city. So how are you tackling that? Yeah, that's a, um, that's a good one regarding the go-to markets. We purposely made the decision to focus on tier two cities to start as our go-to market. We actually focused on only Northern Ontario for, for a good one year before we decided to expand. And right now we're expanding to Regina, Saskatoon, and there are a lot of other secondary, like tier two cities in our two fan list as well. And that being said, we do want to bring this product to Toronto, Vancouver, eventually yeah. with some adjustments because uh, at the end of the day, it depends on which geography, what kind of home price range, what type of uh, demographics you're targeting. We do need to make certain um, tricks into our rental pro- program, the product. That's fine. And we're 100% uh, open to it. It's just as early stage startup, you know, that the cost cap is always the highest. And uh, if we only have a million dollars, we can't yeah. even buy one home in yeah. Toronto. At least we can help five families in those uh, tier two cities. So that's why right now we're focusing tier two cities with a near term expansion focus in Regina, Saskatoon. But over time, we absolutely want to become Canada wide, coast to coast. And not only that, over time, we also want to add on additional product and services that are relevant to some kind of vertical integration. For example, real estate agents, right? In house real estate agents purchase. For example, mortgage offering uh, mortgage products to our renters who eventually will need that mortgage to buy back the home. Yeah, yeah. So you want to create that full ecosystem. That's that's incredible. And and I think that obviously in Toronto and Vancouver, it's super needed, right? Like nobody, you know, most people can't afford to buy a home, right? Like if you're buying a home in Toronto, you're in a, a small percentage of, of of people who can actually afford. Um, so I think, you know, as you continue to to scale, 
and you raise that fund, you'll be able to kind of make those bigger capital outlays in, in the big cities as well. All right. So I'd like to ask you, as we kind of round out the um, talk here today, if you were to go back and start your entrepreneurial journey again, is there anything that you would do differently? <laughs> That's a hard one. Like really, really hard. Because part of me was like, oh, I wish did, I did this younger, you know, when I didn't have a lot of those um, burden. But at the same time, I know I wouldn't be who I am today without all those experience working in accounting and finance in those corporate world, right? So yeah, it's a, uh, it's hard one. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Honestly, I asked, I asked that question, but reality is I think a lot of our journey to before starting a company really shapes you and shapes the reason for why you want to start one. Right. So without having that, you wouldn't really know that this is the right path. So you know, I think, it, I think that's, that's fair. Is there anything that you would go back and maybe tell seven-year-old Amy about uh, her path? Uh, well, um, I probably just tell myself to enjoy and have more fun because uh, quite frankly, um, seven years old, I was in elementary school. That was probably the most relaxing time in my life so far. <laughs> the least you know, the basically the most stress-free, the least stress. <laughs> I because at the time I I used to live in a small town. We have a river. I remember after school, you know, 4 p.m. Me, my friends, classmates, we would all just went to the river, catch the you know crab, the fish, swim in the river, and it was it was a good time. And I probably just tell myself enjoy it more because uh, life will get harder. <laughs> Fair enough, right? Fair enough. Let's have some fun along the way. I agree. <laughs> What about some advice for our listeners who may be considering an entrepreneurial path? Is there any advice that you would give them? Yeah, my number one advice is always just do it. Yeah, like, just do it. <laughs> it's all about execution. Doesn't matter how great your ideas are. Doesn't matter how bad your ideas are. It doesn't really matter. You got to do it. You got to put into action. <laughs> and there's no better time than present to do it. You know, it's so funny, all, almost all of the uh, people who I've asked that question of so far, including myself, that's our answer is I, you know, I think I sat with it in my head for a lot, a lot of times before I just decided to go out and do it. And once you do it, like you can't turn back. Right. And, and then you're like, why didn't I do this sooner? So I agree. You just have to go do it. You just have to kind of take the, the leap of faith and, and go for it. I also like to always ask my guests what they're listening to these days. Is there any books or podcasts that you can recommend? Yeah, um, I'm uh, one podcast I really, really like is called okay. Pivot um, by uh, uh, Scott Galloway and uh, what's her name? Kara Swisher. Okay. And they're absolutely amazing intelligent and engaging co-hosts and they offer very insightful comments in what's the most up-to-date topics in the business and tech industry so if you haven't listened to it to it i definitely okay i actually haven't heard that one pivot i'm gonna jot that down thank you all right so lastly how can our listeners engage with you online Um, we'll also add that to the show notes 
Yeah, definitely. Uh, feel free to connect me on LinkedIn and Amy Dean um, Requity Homes. And you can also check out our website for more information. It's requityhomes.com. And Requity is like turn your rent into home equity, Requity. Yeah. And, uh, and feel free to follow us on our social media, including Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube as well. Awesome. And I actually meant to comment. I love the name. It's so genius. It's so good. Uh, Amy, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you so much. I can't wait to have you back in a few years and update this story. I know it's going to be incredible. So thank you again for joining us. Likewise, uh, my pleasure. And thank you for having me here. Awesome. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Futura Talks. I hope it has left you inspired and motivated to pursue your dreams, find your calling and follow your heart in your life and business. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean so much to me if you would consider leaving a review and better yet, sharing this episode with someone who will be inspired to start building their own Futura. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and I will see you next week. Thank you.